Hey y'all, welcome to ODAT, also known as One Day at a Time, a show where we love to discuss the essentials and tips for the everyday woman and how to achieve your best life, not just because you deserve it, but because you were made for more. I'm your host, Karina F. Days. Hey y'all, welcome back to ODAT, One Day at a Time, with your host, Karina F. Daves. Today, I have a very special friend of mine, Ginali Gonzalez. Um, as you've noticed at this point, all of my guests are very special friends. Um, I've known Gina for over 10 years at this point. We've had such a beautiful relationship in the sense that I can go maybe even a year without talking to Gina. And when I pick up the phone and we talk for a couple of hours, it seems like there was never a gap. Um, the last conversation that we had, she was made, uh, gave, given notice that I had a child. That's how long sometimes we don't talk for. <laughs> that, I, that, that she finds out that I brought another life into this world. <laughs> Yeah. And so the way I love to introduce all my guests is I love to give them 30 seconds to introduce themselves where they can tell listeners anything about themselves, everything from their name to their favorite ice cream, um, whatever they want to share. So Gina, you ready? Yes. Okay. Ready, set, go. Hi, everybody. My name is Gina Lee Gonzalez. I am born and raised in New York, currently living in California. Uh, my family originates from Puerto Rico, so that would make me a New Yorkan. I am a fur baby mama. I also am a fiance, a daughter, a friend, and a diversity strategist. Woo! Okay, okay. So Gina and I met in college. Gina was a Sky student, which is the School of Communication Formation. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your major? I wanted to go into broadcast television. Right. And if you know anything about Gina, you can give that girl a mic. She'll take it very far. Yes. Just (laughs) tell me how much time I have. (laughs) I'll take it. Take it from there. (laughs) One of Gina's gifts is literally on the fly. You know, JLo's not the ultimate fly girl. Gina is. (laughs) For real. (laughs) I'm telling you. I compliment for sure. Yes. Gina can do anything on the fly. I mean, I've seen her whip up. I've seen Gina not get her eyebrows done for weeks. And then it's announced that we have a party in an hour and a half. And I mean, I'm telling you, she had the bushiest eyebrows. Then we have a party to go to. An hour and a half pass, I'm telling you, it was like one of those chick flicks where the girls come down the stairs and the music is playing and their hair is in the wind and they look completely made up. And she comes down the stairs and I said, whoa, did you just pluck all your eyebrows? And she goes, no, girl, I hid them very well with concealer. And I said, Life hacks. You got to love the life hacks. On the fly. I mean, this girl (laughs) always thinks on the fly. Everything she does, I've just seen her create some marvelous things from speeches to presentations to interviews. Like, I honestly adore you and I admire that. um, That really, that, that, that part of you, just the gift of being able to do things in a, in a way I'm like, just boom, you just deliver. Thank you. So you get to college, um, you graduate from college, you're in the workforce, 
And what does your life look like in the sense that you've now been able to pick up skills and communications and media and your goal was definitely to be in that area, right? Mm-hmm. It was. And life had other plans for me. <laughs> Tell me about it. Tell me about your, the other plans. Yeah. So, um, you know, I graduated college in 2008, the worst year ever to graduate. <laughs> so I didn't have a ton of opportunities readily available to me in the mm-hmm. workforce upon graduating. I was one of um, the many people who graduated with no job offer in hand in that year. Mm-hmm. Um, I stumbled upon an opportunity at a promotion company, which I later came to realize was a pyramid scheme. <laughs> <laughs> you um, Was that the job where like, I would call you at seven o'clock and you were doing payroll? Yeah, that, that was a job. Yeah, I was working all I remember of the time. That job. And you know, I, I was selling cosmetics to raise money for a nonprofit um, called Operation Smile. It was a, an amazing, amazing um, nonprofit organization. However, the business model of that company was to send representatives of these products out to stores. So if you can imagine, if you've ever been to a Costco and someone asks you to stop at their table, that at one point could have been me selling uh. you cosmetics. Yeah. <laughs> that was the year also I remember we were supposed to spend New Year's together. Uh-huh. And I think that that job made you so tired that yes. you fell asleep in your towel on New Year's. Yes, that that was on the regular. That was wow. on my birthday. I missed all all of the the major events that year. Your birthday too? <laughs> I didn't realize it was yeah, your birthday too. it was too. exhausting. It was an exhausting job um, and exhausting from the perspective of, you know, it was just, it was physically taxing because you were lugging these boxes of product everywhere, standing, you know, in all types of, you know, weather conditions outside of these stores, uh, talking all day long, right? Trying to push these products off your table. And then, you know, I, I did exceptionally well. I, I hadn't realized that I had the ability to sell product. It was surprising to me that I was doing so well in that job. And, you know, I went from a field representative to a national trainer. And I had started traveling to other wow. offices to train people on how to sell different products. Yeah, so it was, it was an amazing experience. However, it wasn't one of those, you know, fresh out of college type of jobs that I was really proud to share about and yeah. you know that that sort of thing um my my parents have always been proud of me but I don't think they were celebrating in that moment <laughs> <laughs> so um, then you transitioned to education didn't you I did yeah I went from selling cosmetics on the curbside <laughs> to an assistant teacher at um the high school I had went to wow mm-hmm. wow and how yeah. was that what were you doing there Yeah, so I was an assistant teacher um, in the world language department, so in Spanish classes predominantly, but I did spend some time in history and some English classes as well. Um, And it was a school for the learning disabled, so, you know, that includes me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So it was an actually really interesting experience because um, it felt like a very full circle moment for me in my life, you know, having been diagnosed with a learning disability at nine, having Mm -hmm. to manage that disability all of my life, 
and then ultimately landing a job at the high school in which I attended to be able to overcome some of those challenges. It was, wow. it was really an interesting time in my life. Yeah. Wow. And so at this point, how old are you? At this point, I was in my early 20s. So I, I got that job when I was 23. Okay. So at this point in your life, are you where you want to be? Oh, man. N- no. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> no. Um, was I happy in that moment? Yes. Right. I, okay. I enjoyed that job to the max. You know, I mm-hmm. became a cheerleading coach and I, uh, and, you know, the assistant producer of the school play. And, you know, <laughs> I did a lot of really great things and I loved connecting with the students. And, you know, I, and what I loved also the most was being able to demonstrate to students with learning disabilities that, you know, they can overcome and they can achieve things. Right. You know? Right. Um, so right. being able to share my story with them and, and help them understand that this too shall pass. This doesn't define you. You define right. you. Um, and when you're faced with adversity, it only makes you stronger. Right. Um, it was really a beautiful time in my life. Um, but it also was a time of my life where I started coming into my own and realizing that I was destined for more mm. and I wanted to do more. And it was it was. It was really the first time that I felt that gravitational pull that I talk about on my soul, mm. right? Those moments in life where your soul is not at rest at any moment, right? When you're sleeping, you're stressed. When you're awake, you're stressed. You're, you're feeling kind of like this is not where I'm supposed to be. Right, um, right. That, that was the very, very first time in my life that I had experienced that. And so during those ages, right, like that age, that 24, 23 age, mm-hmm. when we're feeling these pulls, sometimes we perceive them as a pull to check off the list of relationship, marriage, kids, house, career. Was that a pull that you felt and then you moved on to sort of um, grow a relationship that you were in? Yeah, I got to say yes. Um, I feel like those things were always there. And I feel like it wasn't at that moment in my life where the pull was leading me in that direction. I feel Mm -hmm. like, I feel like it was because of those ideals and that, you know, check the box list that we all have. Mm -hmm. um, That came a lot sooner for me. So I am, you know, I am the product of a single mother, a single mother with a high power career. Mm -hmm. Um, And being a child in that environment, I always grew up thinking I didn't want anything to do with corporate America because of it, right? Because my only experience with corporate America at that time was my mom being away, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Or, you know, not available all of the time, like other moms or, you know, all of those things. And so I, I realized at that time in my life, in my early 20s, that I had been making decisions based off of pain points previously in my life. Oh. Yeah. And so that check the box mentality was coming from a place of fear and not a place of this is the right decision for me. This is what I want for my career. This is how I want to make an imprint on the world. Right. 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 It was, it was, it was me making decisions to right what I thought were wrongs in my past. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah, but using your own life to do that. 
Yeah. Right. Like almost like correcting it for the future. Yeah, for the future. Right. Mm-hmm. I think in us, there's this um, need to want to reshift or redirect the generational cycle. Right. Which is why yes. like, a lot of immigrant parents are like, I'm going to give everything to this child so that they can correct financial wisdom. They can correct educational deficit. They can correct all of that. Um, mm-hmm. But sometimes we don't always get it right. And so during the next stage of your life, you move on to um, propelling to another career at a bigger company. And Mm -hmm. at the same time, you're dating seriously, correct? Yeah. So I am... I moved on. I actually took a skills assessment test so I could be told what I was supposed to be doing so I couldn't figure it out myself. Yes. I scored very high in human resources and in non-for-profit. Okay. Um, And, you know, with that information, I decided to apply to human resource type roles in in the corporate America, which at the time I was avoiding like the plague, which was really interesting to me. Um. (laughs) You know, and once I, I ended up landing a job as a contractor um, in, a, in a recruiter role mm-hmm. in New York, mm-hmm. um, which was really interesting because it was also one of those moments in life where it's like, that doesn't seem very stable. It also doesn't come with benefits like, hmm, right? So I was, I was leaving this job, right, as an assistant teacher, which provided me benefits, provided me a stable income. Um, for all intensive purposes that I was not going to be let go uh, to go into this contractor role, which had an expiration date and no definitive, you know, road to permanency. And I took the risk because I knew that I couldn't stay where I currently was. So I, I ended up going into this job. And at the time I was transitioning into a new career path with a relationship that had started in my education path. Okay. Um, and it was probably around that time that I should have realized, you know, <laughs> we're, we're not supposed to be in this for the long haul. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, because of that check the box mentality, I was like, no, you know, this is going to work. You know, you've got to be with someone who is going to grow with you and, you know, move in the direction that you're going. And, um, and if they're not moving in that direction, well, you just drag them, right? <laughs> um, and that's not healthy for anybody. And so I think in that moment in my life, because I was striving for more, I felt like my partner had to as well. Right. Um, and I think the disconnect started when I could not accept the fact that this person had already chosen their path and it was leading in a different direction than mine. When you say different path, you mean career-wise? Yeah, career-wise. Okay. You know, okay. um, there, you know, um, this person was in an industry that had, you know, limited opportunities outside of the New York area. Mm-hmm. Um, and limited opportunities for growth in, for the long haul as well. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, just, you know, the type of industry was just not set up for people to have long-term success. There's only a certain percentage of people that really do make it that far Gotcha. in that industry. Um, and that, to be quite honest with you, worried me a ton. It mm-hmm. worried me a ton for my future because I already had this vision in my mind that I would 
travel to different cities and I would, you know, try different things and um, to have someone as your companion, not be able to have that same vision Mm -hmm. was really challenging for me at the time. And, you know, I started to have conversations like, well, maybe this is not the industry for you, right? Because it's not going to allow me to do what I want to do. And um, that created the friction for sure, which Mm -hmm. led to, you know, other things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then you still decided to get married, right? Yeah, um, because I am relentless. Um, I'm very goal oriented. And when I set a vision for myself, you know, it's, I always have the vision in mind. um, And I also know that it's not a straight line there. So I'm willing to go left or right um, around the corner, take a step back to move forward again. Like that for me has never been the challenge. But in that, I create these scenarios in my mind, right, that not everybody matches up with. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, while my path was very zigzaggy, his path was straightforward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that like I loved that you said it, it creates such an imagery in my mind is that you decided to then drag them. And I was like, yeah, I, I kind of understand that because I feel that there are decisions. It's not just with people, though, Gina, it's a, even with decisions that mm-hmm. I've made up my mind. And even if I feel resistance, even if I feel like in inches not going my way, I'll just drag it. Like I'll just make it happen anyways. And when it doesn't work out, it honestly takes me a couple of weeks to have an epiphany to be like, oh, the reason why it didn't work out is because I forced it and Mm -hmm. I dragged it and I totally messed up my bag. I just yeah. look a certain way, right? Yeah, and I, I definitely felt that way. I mean, let me tell you, when when we got to the point of getting married, it did look like the picture I had in my mind, right? It absolutely mm-hmm. did. The wedding was beautiful. You know, my family was happy. His family was happy. You know, it was the joining of two families. Um, but the backstory was still there, you know, mm-hmm. the backdrop of our life and what our life was going to be was still there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I gotta be completely honest and say that we both did try, right. We both mm-hmm. did try the best way that we knew how, right. right. Cause we were at the, at the time we were unwilling to face the reality of we're not for each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. And it, and it wasn't until I started creating this perception that he wasn't enough that then I believe created the infidelities and created the the rest of the tension. And then our lives erupted four Mm -hmm. months after our wedding. Like we Mm -hmm. hadn't even sent thank you cards out. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I never thanked anybody for coming. Um, And, uh, and, you know, it was the inevitable reality that we had to face. Um, But because of that, you know, that I'm just going to drag you along on my vision of life. Right. Um, it had to be that way, right? It yeah. had to erupt for me mm-hmm. to then say, okay, I understand this was not supposed to be the way in the first place. Right, right. I think if anything, because just listening to the things that you're saying um, in the sense that it, 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 it caused the infidelity, I think if anything, what it did was instead of causing it, I think it exposed it. And by exposing yeah. it, I just mean that sooner or later, 
that characteristic was going to be exposed, whether it was through infidelity, whether it was through a gift that you got, whether it was through a phone conversation, whether it was due to lack of preparing me dinner. I don't know. But I think what it did instead of causing it, I think it just exposed it to you sooner. And so I I say that just coming from a place because I just love you so much that I, I, I know when things are our faults and when sort of they're not, and it takes two. And and I've heard you say that. Um, But I think it more so exposed it rather than caused it Um, because you're just such a hardworking person, whether it be in your career, love or everything. I mean, everything you do, you just work really hard at Um, or you just don't do it, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and again, it's one of those things where in hindsight and after many, many months of reflecting on the situation and getting through the pain of it all and coming to realize that very point of it does take two. And there is a part that I played as well, you know, um, and understanding the fact that I, I will never force those situations again, right? I can only face them head on be truthful to my thoughts, be truthful to the person and always have respect for one another. I think, I think respect was something that was definitely missing as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I certainly didn't respect him enough to tell him the truth about how I felt. Right. Mm -hmm. And he certainly didn't respect me enough to honor the union we had created for each other. Um, Yeah. And, you know, I had been holding on to this one thing, right? Like it was, and I, I remember having this conversation with you at our sushi dinner, mm-hmm. right? Where I said, you know, though I thought that I could never find someone else that made me feel like the only woman in the room, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Like the most beautiful and the most worthy and deserving. Mm-hmm. Um, for a long time, he did that for me. And up until that moment, that was the only thing that I had left, right? Because I didn't appreciate his career path. I didn't appreciate some folks in his family, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there were a lot of things that I was like, I'm willing to live with it because of the way he makes me feel. Wow. Um, and when that was taken away, the very mm. last thing that I was holding on to, the decision became very clear. Wow. Um, that I had to finally choose me and I had to I had to be able to make my own self feel like the most beautiful and the yeah. most worthy and the most capable. Yeah. Amen to that. But now you're like, cause I remember this period in your life. Now you're 30 at this point, right? How old were you? Yeah, I had, um, I got divorced at 30. Okay. Hey now, new decade, <laughs> new me. So now you're 30, you're going through a loss. You, and aren't you also physically sick at this point in your life? Yeah. I, um, I had relapsed from my autoimmune disease at that point in time I was I was about two years in remission um, and my condition came back and it got progressively worse mm-hmm. so a lot of the remedies that I would have fallen back on in the past just weren't working um, and I had to you know begin the process again of trying to figure out, do I go with Western medicine or do I go with a holistic type of route mm-hmm. right um, yeah. It's a very hard decision to make, especially when you're dealing with a condition that has no treatment plan Wow right yeah. um, but at this point in your life, while all these things are going on in your relationship, in your health, 
there's one thing that is just killing it and that's your career. Aren't you like just killing it in your career at this point, getting promoted, flying, moving? Uh (laughs) And so, I mean, what was that like? Like just when you took a step back at night and looked at your life and you thought to yourself, man, this is horrible. This is horrible. But my career is pretty good right now. What were you thinking at that point? It was an amazing, it was an amazing contrast to all that was <laughs> happening in my personal life, I got to tell you. And it, it was what was giving me, you know, momentum at the mm-hmm. time too, to keep going, you know, back to being diagnosed with a learning disability and kind of growing through that and managing that all of your life. It, it does come with this, its emotional baggage and its emotional barriers, right? And, you know, there are certain things that you caution yourself with even trying because you're like, Mm-hmm. That doesn't match up with my skill set or the lack of skill set that I have. Yeah. Um, and so having transitioned into corporate America and actually excelling in my career was a transformational moment for me as a professional. Wow. I knew at that moment that I could shed all the insecurities from my learning disability and actually repurpose them to use it as a power in the workplace. Mm. I mean, how incredible is it that someone who can be diagnosed with dyslexia then becomes a recruiter and has the ability, holds the key for opportunities for others. Wow, wow. When so many opportunities are not available to them. Right. You know, that for me was incredible and it remains incredible for me and, and a lot of the reason why I am in diversity and I am in diversity strategy. Mm-hmm. So what would you say in that period of your life divorce did for you? Because for most people, the idea that we see in culture on TV that is fed into us is that divorce makes everybody just go into a corner, a black hole, and they yeah. never come out. And I mean, if you even mm-hmm. say that you were divorced, people just look at you with like a pile full of judgment. Um, yeah. And, I'm, yeah. and I'm sure you m- might have had some of those feelings, but in turn, what did you decide to do with your divorce in that stage of your life? Oof, yes. Um... Yeah, you know, all of those things. I did go into the black hole, mm. um, but I left the door cracked open. You know what wow. I mean? Left the door behind me, right? Um, yes. You know, it was, it, was, it was a moment where I needed to go into the black hole for a little while, right? And to, to be reborn to this new person. Mm. That, and, and, you know, one of the things actually that scared me the most was people finding out and what they were going to say. And, oh, my gosh, like she just spent all this money on this beautiful wedding. And, yeah, it was fun, but <laughs> now it's over, right? Uh-huh. You know, and I want my money back, right? <laughs> I felt so bad for a lot of the people who, you know, gave us gifts. And it was just like, I do I return it? I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, anybody who's listening and came to that wedding. <laughs> but it was, it was again... A, a revelation for me to realize that my life is my own. Mm-hmm. My decisions are my own. I'm not responsible for anybody's happiness. I'm not also responsible for anybody's suffering, right? Mm-hmm. And if you think about life and if you can get to the point in your life where you say that suffering was meant for me because the lesson that is coming out of it is making me stronger for this new decision that I have to make, mm-hmm. that is the best part of life, right? Like, Life doesn't promise to be beautiful with no struggle. Right. Right. Life gives you no guarantees other than it's going to end someday. (laughs) 
right? Yes. And so you have to be able to make decisions that you're comfortable with living with, mm -hmm. right? And that person will have to do the same, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's not your responsibility to carry them through. And I, I gotta be honest with you, had I had that realization before getting married, I never would have gotten married. Wow. I maybe would have never made it to the altar. I would have just been like, hey, like, we're going to break up. But do you mind like, if we just go to the party? <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that realization, unfortunately, came for me four months after a very expensive wedding. Yeah. But I'm so thankful that it did. Right? And I don't regret my decision at all. And, mm -hmm. and I don't, and I, I hope that this podcast reaches someone who is faced with a tough decision mm -hmm. and is courageous enough to make it yeah. right. And courageous enough to make it from the standpoint of, I am only responsible for getting me through this. Mm -hmm. Right. And this is coming from a person who never want, who wanted to get it right the first time. Right. Because right. you know, my parents are divorced. And so you know, that moment when I actually got divorced was like, wow, how did this happen to me? Mm -hmm. You know, after all of the things that I've tried to avoid this very thing. Right. Um, but again, I, I think it, it comes down to the fact that you have to know um, and believe yeah. that you can make the best decisions for you and not be responsible for others. Yeah. Also like listening to your story because I've listened to it because I've been through it with you. Yeah, I, yeah. I just had this moment where I thought to myself, wow, like she just basically said that I didn't want to go into corporate America because I didn't want a certain lifestyle, didn't want to do certain things. So I made sure that I did my life this way. I didn't want divorce. So I made sure to do my life this way. And then at one point you just realize in your life, I have to stop living my life out of check boxes and just yeah. live my life from a place of authenticity. And mm -hmm. so I know you said this before, that that experience where you had to make such a big decision in getting divorced and leaving that relationship, it actually propelled you to newer things. And so can you talk about those risks? Yeah. Yeah. It, um, earlier when I had mentioned that, you know, you hold on to these one things to make it work with somebody and you make the decision to sacrifice certain aspects of your life. I had, I had already been putting on the back burner, this idea that I would live in different cities, you know, because that, that opportunity wasn't available to my partner at the time. And, um, the second I made that decision, I said to myself, that's it. There is no more sacrifice. There's wow. only growth and prosperity from here. Wow. And I, I became very intentional about understanding when fear was creeping in. Yeah, I became very intentional to say my decisions are my own. I'm going to look for, I, I still want love, right? Like I've always been a big fan of love, right? Um, and that wasn't going to change, right? I, I knew that that would never change despite all of the pain that I had just gone through because of love, right? I, I still felt very worthy of it, right? But a different version of it. Mm -hmm. And I knew that it had to be, you know, I had to be more, more calculated, right? Because like, there's more to love than just love. Right. And, you know, any person who is married will tell you that like, oh, <laughs> I know, right? Because love don't, don't get me through, you know, the pains of the day, right? I still get very upset. 
So there has to be, you know, this like trifecta, right? Of mm. like, that, yes, there's love, but there's also, I, I envision the same things as this person. And I'm willing to support this person while I'm also supporting myself, mm. right? Mm. Right. And luckily, like, it didn't take me too long to find that. To figure that out on the market for very long okay um but yeah it, it didn't take me too long to find that because I had already gone into the black hole and done that whole thought process for myself mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. I I stopped looking at others as an opportunity to fill voids within me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I started looking at others and saying is this person going to challenge me right is this person going to bring out the best in me Mm-hmm. Am I, am I able to nurture and challenge their goals and their thoughts? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because marriage is about being able to support each other in all areas and being yeah. able to make all of that work, no matter how wacky and crazy the ideas are. Sure. And mm-hmm. as a friend and, 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 and having watched you and your partner over the last years, I mean, make decisions that literally move you across the country. <laughs> across the country. Yeah. I've watched you take risks your entire life, but mm-hmm. to have seen you take that risk, um, it's not that I didn't think you could do it or would do it. I think that for me, it just was a reminder of how thick your resilience is. You know, so I call you the fly girl because you think on the fly and you do on the fly. But I think you started in my, I guess, radar, you started to be the person that made decisions on the fly. And it was extremely admirable. I was like, wow, like she literally just interviewed and within, I mean, maybe a couple weeks, it was very short. I remember Mm -hmm. talking to you one week you saying you were going to travel for an interview, you were thinking about it, got the news that it was in a different state, and then you would hear back. And then I think in a couple of weeks, it was like, all right, so I'm moving to California. I was like, what? You yeah. Where? Oh, um, yeah. Got divorced. I thought she was sick. I thought this. And now mm-hmm. she's all the way in a different country, like, or yeah. a different state. Like, I don't understand it. I don't understand the rationale, but there's strength in your resilience. And I think mm-hmm. that a lot of people forget. And one of the things that you were saying before is that there is power in the pain. Right, mm-hmm. because that pain, oh, yes. that pain needs to become one day a testimony, like we're doing here. That pain is 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 a propellant that propels you to that next stage. And so, right now, you know, in your new role, um, which is a very vocal role, is a very team dynamic type of role. How do you see the risk that you took and the decisions that you made influence now your everyday life and where you stand? Oh man. Wow. That is a great question. Um, and so many different angles to it. There's layers to it. Right. Um, yeah, right now being away from my family, right. It was the toughest decision that I've ever had to make. Right. Even knowing that I wanted to be part of my life's experience. Right. So be actually before accepting the offer to come to California, I was in DC. So I had moved from New Jersey to DC and then moved back from DC to New Jersey. So I had only been back home for, I want to say less than six months and then gotten the opportunity in California. But really all of that boils down to the fact that 
I am a firm believer in when the opportunity presents itself, you better be ready. Yeah, jump. You better be ready to go, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, there is no mistake in the quote, strike while the iron is hot, mm. right? And the rest will follow, right? Yeah. I mean, if, if, if listeners today take nothing away from this conversation, just know that like whatever you decide to do today, even if it's not the perfect version, the rest will follow. You already have everything in your toolbox to be mm. successful. Yeah. And you have to stop looking at life as it's happening to you. Right. And you have to start moving through the world as life is happening for you. Mm -hmm. There is no mistake in the suffering. There is no mistake in the joys, right? Mm -hmm. Lean into it, embrace it, and then use it and cultivate it as a power. Amen. You know, yeah. and I take pain with me into work every day, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, in the physical sense, right? <laughs> my autoimmune disease because I'm always stressed. Right. Um, but also in, you know, the metaphorical sense as, my my life's experience has propelled me to this moment and i'm going to use it to help others in my work right um the other layer to it really is if i'm going to be away from my family and my friends it better be worth it mm. and i better have an impact mm -hmm. and i better make a difference because i am not with my family right now mm -hmm. and that's what motivates me mm -hmm. Having gone through battles and been victorious from them, because that's what I call you, you've gained victory <laughs> from each of these battles that you've gone through, whether it's relationships, your health, your job, traveling, your workplace, having had victory in all these battles, what would you say is one of the biggest lessons that you've taken from them? And obviously, it can be, I mean, I think that sometimes when we ask these questions, we're like, oh my God, there's so many angles I could answer this in, right? Yeah. But after being victorious from all of these battles, what would you say now currently in your life is like the most prominent thing that's always in the front of your head as you're rediscovering, as you're reading, as you're learning, as you're um, remorphing yourself? What is the one thing that it's literally is in the front surface of your mind having just been victorious over the years? Yeah. So, oh my gosh, another really great question. Um, I'm a hummingbird, hmm. right? I cross pollinate, <laughs> you know, and actually you helped me realize this many, many, many years ago during my soul gravitational pull when I was sort of testing the waters and I was in, you know, sales and then I was a teacher and then I was a recruiter and lot, you know, trying all these different things. You know, I, I was in this like, cycle of always having to start over, right? Not realizing that I wasn't actually starting over. I was just switching context, you know? Yes. And that's totally okay. And I think, you know, going back to the socialization piece, how many times have we been told, follow your passion, you know, mm -hmm. do the things, your dreams. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, when you're told those things and you're like, wait, I don't know if I have a passion in life. I don't know if mm -hmm. I have a true purpose because I can't figure it out. Mm -hmm. Right. That doesn't mean that you don't, you can't live a life of purpose. That means that your purpose is to be a hummingbird. That means that your purpose is to cross pollinate with all the skills you've acquired and continue to place them in different contexts. Yes. Yes. 
Right. That was so beautifully said because the world is constantly forcing us to choose one. Yeah. Is just to choose one box, one thing, one career, one way of being, and it's not supposed to be like that. We have been given gifts, multiple gifts, not just one gift. So you, I remember that text message. It was, it was, I mean, it was a back and forth. And I remember, I, I think it was, I think I just asked you, how are you doing? And it was like a vomit. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you have yeah. time? <laughs> you know, and I remember in that moment you feeling like I can't I, I can't pick something. Um I feel like mm-hmm. I'm not good enough because I can't pick something and I just picked up crocheting, so I'm selling them yeah. and people like them, but I'm also teaching and then I'm thinking I'm entering for this job, but I also love doing this. And I remember thinking to myself, well, what's so bad about that? But it's because yeah. we live in the world that tells us that we must choose. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. what it did was it kidnapped that exact thing, which is called choice. Mm-hmm. Yes. Having the authority to choose doesn't mean that I get to choose just one. It's like yeah. the ice cream fro yogurt shop. I get mm-hmm. to choose, yes, one ice, one ice cream, one life. I get, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I get multiple toppings, baby. And that's, that's right. I see it. Yes. <laughs> I get multiple toppings. I could have mm-hmm. sprinkles. I could have Reese's pieces. And even though these mm-hmm. things cause inflammation, AKA pain and loss, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I am taking the risk and eating uh-huh. it with multiple things on it. And mm-hmm. even if I fail, like you said, I am still cross-pollinating. I am still venturing out. I would much rather, my sister Stacy always says this, I would yes. much rather live a life of oh wells than what ifs. Mm. And love I love that. that. Yes. It is a risk-taking life that if we n- never make any risks, we can never stretch we can never get to the journey that we're meant for. We can never rediscover. We can never have aha moments. We'll never be in the relationships that we're supposed to be. You'll never, you know, be in California if we yeah. didn't make these risks. I mean, it's so essential. Right. I'm not saying don't plan. I mean, there is, there is beauty in planning. I'm saying- Don't go out there being cray cray. Yeah. <laughs> But don't wait around thinking that the imaginary vision that you have in your life, in your head, is just going to happen without action. It is. That's right. You know, you need to act on it. You need to take risks. And if we stay consumed in just an overly high anxious state and thinking to myself, well, what if, what if, what if it's never going to happen? I mean, baby, just get out there. Just get out there. That's right. That's right. And just live for the moments of clarity because they will come. Yes. They will come. And you'll, you will, you will come to realize all the reasons why eventually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love you so much. I'm so happy that we had this conversation and, and, and I agree with you. I hope that um, this episode really reaches a lot of women, a lot of people. One of the things that I love to do at the end is give um, the person I'm interviewing, 10 seconds. It's a shorter amount of time now. 10 Uh-oh. seconds. <laughs> Uh-oh. Sum up everything you've learned from birth till now 
You have 10 seconds. You ready? Yeah. The, the narrative is yours, right? It's never going to be perfect, but imagine your life as if you were writing it with a pencil, Mm -hmm. with an endless eraser that is always sharp and always there for you. Because I think for me, like the one thing that's coming to my mind is move confidently in the directions of your dreams, right? But that was already somebody's thought, but it, it really is, you know? Yeah, yeah. How, I, it, you know, you just have to trust your heart and know that it's going to be there for you, no matter what, no matter the pain, no matter the joy. And, you know, the one thing in life that is guaranteed is the expiration date and that it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. Yeah. Amen. I love that. So Gina, again, I just want to thank you and just tell you how much I love you. I adore you. I admire you. Um, I love the relationship that we have and how it's evolved. And I really hope this reaches a lot of places. And um, just thank you for loving me. And thank you for being on ODAT, One Day at a Time, a place where I like to interview women that I like to call the true hustlers of the world. I love you, Gigi. I love you so much. And I want to be on again. So think of another topic. I'm coming back soon. Okay. Okay.